Welcome to Real Talk, Real Women, Breaking the Silence Around Abuse. I am Gemma Serenity Gorokov, your host, and today, coming from Toronto in Canada, we have Jennifer Jane. Jennifer, here is her bio, is a success coach and the founder of Fempreneur Collective, a company that helps women in business share their stories through content and community connections. Originally from Toronto, Jennifer is passionate about encouraging women business owners to elevate their platform and thrive in their entrepreneurial journey. With over a decade of experience as a blogger and digital entrepreneur, Jennifer loves supporting entrepreneurs as a business coach and social media manager. As a success coach, Jennifer works one-on-one with her clients to define and meet their goals so that they can experience success on their own terms. Just a few of the ways she does this is by diving deep into core values, both personal and brand, breaking down the shoots of success and creating simple success metrics that align with her client's success impact map. In her spare time, Jennifer loves to get lost in a good book. She's a passionate crafter, particularly with sewing and hand embroidery and is a proud mom to her four rescues, two dogs and two cats. Jennifer, so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. That's amazing. Jennifer, my first question, really not dive into that question in your bio. What kind of abuse did you overcome in your life? What did you experience and what did you overcome? Yeah. Um, so it, uh, it's where to begin, really. Um, I grew up in a home where my mom was a narcissist and, you know, dealt with that through childhood and into an early adulthood. And it kind of impacted how I sought out love. And so without realizing it, I found myself um, falling in love and ended up in, in a relationship. I left Canada. I moved to Texas. I was there for 10 years and married a narcissist um, without realizing that I was repeating that cycle of, you know, love bombing and all of that stuff because it felt familiar. I thought that's what love was supposed to be. And so my relationship with my ex-husband started great and it was great for a year and then it was good for a year and then it was okay for a year or two. And then from that point, it really started to steadily just dive bomb into a constant cycle of emotional, verbal, uh, mental and financial and even health care, like um, medical abuse, which I didn't even know was a thing until I got out of it because it it happened so gradually. I didn't realize what was going on and just how absolutely miserable I was until a conversation opened my eyes one day. Oh, sorry, my kitten is. This one's mine. <laughs> we were talking about kittens before we got started. Yeah, She's here. always. And here is mine. Oh, yes. She's <laughs> <laughs> always doing acrobats at the worst possible moments. Absolutely, boy. But yeah, so it, it just, it got to this point where, you know, a friend asked me one day, are, are you happy? Jennifer, are you happy? 
And I, I looked at them and I said, you know, I'm not unhappy. And she, she kind of laughs and she goes, you can't be, you can't not be unhappy. That doesn't make sense. You're either happy or you're not happy. And that, that for some reason, that conversation kind of was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And in that moment, I started to kind of look at my life and realize I, I was actually quite miserable and very, very actually unhappy. And the more I realized just how abusive and chaotic and, and all around miserable I was, the worse it actually got. Like the more I realized that there was a problem, the worse he got because he, I think he was realizing that he was starting to lose control over me. And, you know, I spent most of those 10 years in Texas without a bank account. Um, I did have access to medical care. Uh, my teeth were rotting out of my face and only as a like absolute last resort would he let me go to the dentist and have a tooth pulled. Like all of those things were, were taken away from me. I, I wasn't allowed to drive. I didn't have a vehicle. I didn't have a driver's license. I managed to carve out a life for myself inside of that really, really tight box. And I thought I was, I thought I was happy. I thought I was thriving because the blinders were on to, to just how bad it was because I didn't want to not be there. It's so, it's so weird because like, I look back sometimes and I was like, how could I be so foolish? How could I be so blind to the fact that that was abuse? But when I'm, when I'm honest with myself, I didn't want to see it because I thought, I thought I was happy. I thought I was okay. I thought that's what life was and that's what it was going to be for me. Um, but it wasn't really until I started working on my self-development and answering questions honestly when people asked me um, and really looking at the situation. I, I took the rose-colored glasses off and started actually looking at the situation for what it was and recognized very quickly that I wasn't happy it was never going to get better and it was rapidly getting worse in um 2020 on top of the pandemic my town was also hit by a tornado in may so every the whole world was in lockdown and the homes around our neighborhood were were decimated um we got off a little bit lucky like we just had some damage to the garage and our roof was hurt or just like damaged but inside of that extra stress, he got dangerous with me. Oh. Um, it never actually came to the point of physical abuse, but it, we were a hair's breadth away. Um, and the verbal abuse was public for the first time ever. My friends, people who rallied around us to help support in fixing our home and taking care of my former in-laws witnessed him absolutely just berating me and yelling and screaming at me for something that was not my fault was literally an act of god and my friend pulled me aside and she's like are you are you okay and i'm like oh yeah this that's fine she's like he talks he, oh, he's talking to you but that's not okay and in my mind i'm like it's just another tuesday like this is this is what I deal with on a regular basis. 
And she goes, Jennifer, that is not okay. And it kind of shocked me. Like it's it seeing it through someone else's eyes for the first time, because it had always been behind closed doors, was was really eye opening. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh no. <laughs> was kind of like the thought process and the pattern I went through in my head. And so by August of that year, I had decided it was time for me to figure out a way to get home. Obviously, all of this was complicated by the pandemic because it wasn't like my mom or my dad could drive from Canada and pick me up and take me back home. You know, the whole world was shut down. The borders were closed. So I managed to figure out how to stay until about November. And by the grace of God and the grace of some amazing friends, uh, we played what I fondly referred to as the great past the Jennifer game of 2020. Uh, where friends that I had made through growing a business inside of that restricted container, all I had was the internet so and crafts and, and my hobbies. And I, I grew a lifestyle business in that. I grew a social media management business in that. And I, I found a way, it's kind of, I kind of look at, at that time of my life as like a dandelion that somehow manages to grow through the cracks of a sidewalk and get into some soil and and grow into something might not be the most beautiful thing but it was something and it was mine and through that journey of growing my businesses I met some incredible women who stepped up and witnessed some of what I was going through stepped up and a friend drove me from one point in Texas to another point and then a friend from that point drove me to Colorado and from Colorado a friend drove me to the border and my mom picked me up at the Canadian border in November of 2020. And if it wasn't for those women, if it wasn't for those people who stepped up to help me, I probably wouldn't have made it out of Texas. I, pro- I, I don't know that I would have lived to see today, to be honest, because it was escalating really quickly and really scarily. That's, that's crazy. Amazing and crazy at the same time. So for you, the inspiration moment was hearing some girlfriends reacting and telling you that what you were going through was not okay. Yeah. And that that has been the wake-up call. Like, Yeah, there were two moments. The, The two moments were when someone asked me if I was actually happy and then that moment where where my friend was like that that's not okay the way he speaks to you is not okay and she asked if in that she asked me then has, has he ever hit you like he ever gotten physical with you and i'm like no he would he would never right like that response he would never um yeah. and a couple weeks later i was like oh my gosh he might and that, that was that much scarier because i had started to see the reality of the situation i was in i didn't know it then and I, and I wasn't willing to admit it to myself, but I met someone in Canada who helped me get my feet under me after a random conversation in a park, a complete stranger bonding over, over pets. And somehow I ended up spilling out this whole story to her. And she goes, Jennifer, that's domestic violence. That's domestic abuse. And I thought because he never hit me, it wasn't abuse. I thought because he never hit me that it wasn't domestic violence. And she goes, you fit the definition for human trafficking. She's like, you might not have felt that way, but that's human trafficking. 
You had no control over your life. You had no access to things that were our basic needs. You had no ID. You had no or no valid ID because everything had expired. You weren't allowed to live your life. She's like, that's violence. That is violence against your person. And that somehow that made it so much worse, but better at the same time. Because I could I could start to see it for what it was. There'd been a little bit of time and distance, right? Like it'd been about six months since I'd come back to Canada. But to hear it from someone else who just got a little tiny snippet of what I went through, for them to be like, that's domestic violence and to label it and label it very strongly. Both scared me, but reassured me at the same time. Like I wasn't crazy that it wasn't okay the way I was treated. Um, to be made to feel so small and feel really helpless and like I uh, my whole life was completely reliant upon this man because it it really kind of was it's the position I had had gone into but to hear someone else call it domestic violence really it made me cry I then it broke me in a way that was very healing because it gave me permission to actually acknowledge it for what it had become as opposed to oh he's just kind of mean I, you know, I got to be nice to him so he doesn't yell at me today. Because that's kind of what my brain had told me, right? And yeah. That answers the questions that many people ask. <clears throat> How is it that we stay so long with those guys? Uh-huh. It sneaks up on you. You don't even realize that you're doing that. Yeah. Just like continue routinely one day after another. You put up with whatever is thrown at you. And I'm going to tell you, for the longest time, I was not hit until I was hit. And I continued to stay, even though I was hit, even though I was strangulated, even though I thought I died, but actually I did not. So it was okay. And then I didn't have the strength to actually leave because I was so weakened by the aggression. Yeah. It was like, wow. Okay. it's it's cut it's death by a thousand cuts right it's one it's one little slice at a time until you don't realize that you're hemorrhaging like it's one little pain right at a time every day for so long and then when your eyes are opened you realize just how much of yourself you've lost and how bloodied and bruised and battered and tired and sad you actually are. And you don't know what's happening until one day you see that it's actually happened to you. Sometimes I think it would have been easier if he had hit me because that would have been like, oh, that's a line. We're not crossing that line. And it, oh. and for me, right? But, but I can't say that, that that would have been the situation. I don't know because it never happened to me. But I do know what I went through and I do know it sucked. <laughs> it really, really sucks. <laughs> and... Through all that period, you were able to build a business on social media, on the internet, on your own. You were able to share your craft, whatever you you had access to, actually. Yeah. I got really resourceful. And, you know, I started blogging in 2010 when I first moved to Texas. And uh, I didn't have a lot. So I was shopping at thrift stores and I was re-upcycling things and remaking things and sharing about those, you know, kind of creative adventures on my blog. And back then was just the beginning of like what's now known as kind of influencing. And I was making a little bit of money 
writing, you know, product reviews and sharing my crafts. And then I got into an ad network. And as I was growing and learning about this thing that kind of became my lifeline, right? That business was the only thing that was mine, really. Um, I started doing VA work and social media management and grew an agency and was thriving inside of that because work became the one thing that kept me safe. If I was working, if I was making money that he would then take, he wouldn't mess with me. He wouldn't bug me. He wouldn't harass me. He wouldn't yell at me. So I started working 12, 14, 18 hours a day because that's where I was safe. Not the healthiest way to grow a business um, because I was obviously suffering, you know, in, in a variety of ways. I wasn't sleeping enough. I wasn't eating right. I was living on coffee and sugar. Um, I found solace. I had two dogs in Texas. I had to leave them behind when I left because that was just the reality of the situation. But they were my whole world. My business kept me safe. And so that's what I did. I worked mm-hmm. and I, I played with my dogs and that was that was my life. But I learned a lot. I learned how to be resilient. I learned how to be resourceful. I learned, you know, what really matters to me. And ultimately, it was diving deep into my core values and understanding what I wanted out of life. Because once you realize Kinky is going on and things are not okay. The next question you have to ask yourself is, well, what do I want? Like, if I don't want this, what do I actually want? And so I started doing this deep, you know, self-development work. And I looked at my core values and I looked at, you know, what, what do I want success to be for myself? What do I want my evolution to be? Where am I going? What is the point of all of this? And why do I keep saying someday? Why is it someday I will have this and someday I'll do that and someday this will be nice and someday that? Why can't I figure out how to make it happen now? And so that's really the journey that that work, that wanting the answers to those questions and figuring out how to make things happen faster for myself ultimately is what forced me to leave Texas because I realized that I either had to make a conscious choice to accept that this was my life. This was as good as it was going to get. It was never going to get any better, might even get worse. Or I could choose to do the impossible thing and walk away from 10 years of marriage, my the home I had, the pets I had, the business that I had built, all of my creative tools, right? Like I had hundreds and maybe even thousands of dollars of fabric and craft supplies and, you know, I built a life there over the course of 10 years. I walked away from all of it. I left with a suitcase and a bit of computer stuff. And I never looked back. And I have no regrets other than my dogs. I wish I could have taken them with me. Yeah. Do you have news from then? Uh, I I get updates every now and then from my former mother-in-law. And they're happy and thriving and living their best lives. And I knew it would be easier for them to adjust to me being gone than it would have been for them to adjust to being in Canada. Because Texas to Canada, the weather would have been hard on their little Lonnie's. Very different. Yeah. And they didn't travel well. So the idea of trying to take them across the country was just not a good one. So they kept me They kept me in Texas longer than I should have stayed. Like I should have left a lot sooner, but I did because I kept trying to figure out how I could take them with me. But that's... that's yeah. 
you are answering a lot of questions <laughs> and of untold question, unasked questions that are still lingering and you are answering them through your life experience. Is it hard? Yes, it is. Does it feel impossible? Yeah, it definitely does. Yes. Is it factually impossible? Not at all. With and without money. With and without actual current pay. With and without your pets. With and without all that you have built. Yeah. Actually, when you withdraw yourself from domestic violence, the pain stops instantly. It is exactly like when you give birth. You can go through the labor. It is like, treats like hell. Mm-hmm. And instantly when you have your baby on on you and not in you anymore, <laughs> but on you, the entire pain of the labor has instantly stopped. And I discovered that it, it is exactly the same thing when you extract yourself from domestic violence, when you are actually born again to the world. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you can just talk to anything. <laughs> okay. So, Jennifer, you did build all of that earlier. You kept your computer stuff with you. What have you built from that moment on in Toronto, Canada now? Okay, so don't worry about that. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> He has what we call an angry widow, and he sits out there and not barks at people at wild by. So he just oh, okay. So that 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 will pass fast. Okay, yeah. Let me yell one more time. Wow. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, great. Okay, we for you. Good. Oh, the the life of an entrepreneur that has pets. This is just the reality of what we deal with. Please, and that's all good. It's on what you said. Yep. <laughs> okay, tell us about the business you are striving with today in Canada. Okay. Uh, I started from scratch. When I moved back to Canada, a couple of clients from my VA business kind of left the old business and joined the new business. So I was really blessed to be able to start with that um, as a basis. But I knew I didn't want to go back to doing business the way I had been. I knew I didn't want to be doing, you know, endless hours, 20-hour days of VA work or social media management anymore. And I really wanted to start helping women in business kind of figure out some things that helped pull me out of my situation but and shifted and changed the way I did business. And so I decided I was going to be a coach. I was going to start coaching full-time. Now, I don't coach full-time. I'll tell you that right now. I coach part-time. It's something I love doing, but I only do it with the people who are the right fit. I'm a little bit picky in who I support because I want them to get the results that they need, and they have to be willing to try my kind of crazy ideas because um, I don't coach the way most people do. And so for me, what it really boils down to is core values and creating a success impact map. And I do that inside my coaching program, but I also do it for my social media management clients that I still have because it makes a huge difference in supporting those clients 
inside of their businesses based on what actually matters to them and also helps me articulate and you know share content that aligns with who they are, how they would speak, and their brand's goals. Um, when you create a success impact map, it's a term I kind of made up. Impact mapping is is product-based. A lot of businesses use it for their, like it's used inside of business. And really an impact map breaks down sort of the reverse engineering of what your goal is. So if you want to sell this much of a product, well, how are you going to do that? What are the benefits? How does it support the client or the customer? And so I do that reverse engineering around the idea of what is success to you? I grew up in business through the phase of the entrepreneurial journey where success was told to us as, you know, it's it's a bikini on a beach with your laptop and you work five minutes a day and you live somewhere tropical. I don't like sand. I do not like bikinis. And if you got sand in my laptop, I might just punch you because it's a tool. You can't get sand on the keyboard. Like that will ruin your laptop. So none of that appealed to me. It didn't appeal to me. And it doesn't, you know, when people actually think about it, it probably doesn't appeal to them a whole lot either. Either Beach vacations are great, but that's not where I want to live. That's not where I want to spend my life. I love the work that I do. I wouldn't be happy only working five minutes a day. So I started to really think about what would success look like for me? Where would I live? What would I be doing? How would I be spending my days? Who do I want to spend my days with? But the most important question is, what does that success feel like? And when I started diving into that for myself, because I was trying to figure out how to market my business, and I realized that that understanding of success is not common. It's really very uncommon. Most people don't take the time when they leave corporate work or nine to five or retail or customer service, whatever their former life was before they started their entrepreneurial journey, we don't adjust our measurements of success when we start our businesses. And we don't evolve and grow it as we grow and evolve because I've achieved certain metrics on that ideal life already. I've already done some of those things. The only thing I'm missing is a cabin in the mountains at this point and a lot more dogs. There would be far more dogs, so many rescue puppies. But nobody talks about this or they didn't used to. It's starting to be a bit of a more common conversation. But if you know what your success looks like, what it feels like, where it shows up and what the impact it creates for you and for your clients is, everything shifts inside of your business and you will begin to only focus on the things that match those goals. Because success in and of itself is a goal, but how we define it is completely up to us. And if we don't figure out what that looks like and what it feels like, we can't achieve that. And a lot of times when I'm talking to clients around the feelings of success, they can't tell me without doing some introspection, what success feels like, because we think success by itself is its own feeling, but it's not. Success is made up of a whole bunch of other feelings that we actually experience on a day-to-day basis. You know, success is pride. Success is a feeling of accomplishment. For me, success is a feeling of like, it's just like an all over warm, glowy kind of feeling. And most people think that you're just going to feel successful No, you won't. You never will. Because you don't actually know what success feels like. You haven't identified what 
makes up success for you. So how would you know when you're actually being successful? Uh, if the people who are watching and listening to this or anything like me, you check one box off and you immediately roll into accomplishing the next thing. You don't stop and take a moment to celebrate what you just accomplished. And you certainly don't take a moment to stop and be like, I did a thing. Look at me. I'm so proud of myself, which we need to be more of. We need to do more. Yeah, self-celebration. That is one of the things I heard many coach ask you when you are the coachee. I mean, the person who is being coached. Mm -hmm. Okay, how are you going to celebrate yourself? And it's like, I. <laughs> how do you celebrate yourself? Yeah, okay. I celebrate myself. Now we have just to continue. We cannot stop that good. I mean, there yeah. are so many more to do. I celebrate with a check mark and then I go on to the next thing with how I did it for a lot of years. And now for me, celebration, I celebrate in a number of different ways. Sometimes it's taking myself to Starbucks for a latte. Sometimes it's an extra long walk with my dog, but almost always it involves taking a break and walking away from my computer because success and, and celebration of something I've accomplished is not rewarded or should not be rewarded by doing another thing. It should be rewarded with, at a very minimum, a break from your office and a sip of water or a sip of a, you know, something that you enjoy. It, if you're just checking the box or checking the thing off the list and immediately rolling into the next action item, you're not celebrating anything. You need to take a moment and actually feel the gratitude for having that, uh, achieved that accomplishment and reflect on how, how good it is, feels to have done that thing or the impact you've created, or the people you've helped, or the people you're going to help because you finished that thing. And so for me, you know, taking that moment to celebrate something that I've done, even small things, usually involve a little bit of a, let's get away from the computer for even just five minutes, walk around, get some water, get some vitamin Ds, get some sunshine, something to shake up just sitting at my computer all day, checking action item after action item after action item off the list. Yeah. Yeah, that's super, super important. You are bringing actionable ideas and actionable steps. This impact map that you have, client success impact map, that, in my opinion, is one of your trademarks, genius trademarks. Because tell us more about that. Well, I was just say I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. Um, in the process of creating the impact success map, we actually go really, really deep on, on your core values and we break them apart. You know, for some people, when we start talking about core values, they're like, oh, my core values are community and leadership and family. And that's as far as it goes. They don't know what community means to them. They have no idea what leadership looks like for them. They have a family, so family's a core value. <laughs> they don't go any deeper than, well, how do I take care of my family? What is how what is family as a core value? What does it actually look like? Where am I investing my time? How am I showing up? Where am I investing my dollars or my energy? What what is good family time? You know, it's you know, time with my family. Well, that's great. But what does that mean? Is it quality time? What's quality time look like for you? Where does that show up? What difference does that make for you as a human, for your family, and for your clients? 
what, where's the impact start to happen? And when we start looking at what I call the microscopic level of your core values, because we're breaking it down and we're breaking it down and we're breaking it down, it changes the way you look at your business, your life, and how you show up. And it also gives you an endless resource for content, by the way. That's just a happy bonus side effect. But when you know what matters to you and you know exactly where it shows up, what it looks like, what it feels like, you can't not create that anymore. I always tell my clients, once you know, you can't unknow and you are now responsible to go and do differently because there's no going back. You can't erase that knowledge from your head without some sort of hypnosis. And I won't do that for you. So fascinating. What I recommend our audience is to rewind a little bit, like come back a little bit uh, a few minutes ago, listen to all the props that you shared with us, Jennifer, and answer that for yourself. Like, yes. Okay. Back, listen to the prompts, think about it and answer to yourself. Listen to the next prompt, think about it and answer to yourself. <laughs> and by doing that, what you do right after that is to connect with Jennifer. Jennifer, how do we connect with you? And yeah. tell her exactly your results so that you can actually <laughs> potentially work more. Yeah, I would love to. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the Jennifer Jane and Sempreneur.co. Um, Sempreneur Collective is my platform where I'm connecting women with opportunities to talk about the thing that makes them uniquely magical. It's a platform where you can share articles, you can share videos or lives with our community um, and support other women in business through the thing that makes you uniquely special in your niche and your life experience and your adventures. Um, eventually there will be a podcast. We have not gotten that for yet, but right now it's mostly, mostly articles and Instagram lives. Facebook will be coming shortly. Um, you can connect with me there. You can also find me at Jennifer at the Jennifer If you want to send me an email, I'd love to connect. Um, the work that I do in really diving into core values is so pivotal and so influential in, in how you can show up strong for yourself, for your business and for the people that matter to you. That is gorgeous. Jennifer at the Jennifer Jane dot com. Right? Correct. And Jane is J A Y N E. That's right. So that we have it all right. Jennifer speaking straightforward. Okay. Jennifer, you have been a beacon of light, a guidance, a help, a you have opened up the path of possibilities to those who are listening to us. And I thank you for that. And I wish you many, many people who reach out to you and give you the feedback and the testimonial that this top changed their lives. Because this is what we're about here. That would make me so happy. I've often said and thought to myself that if I could somehow redeem this experience with helping someone else avoid it or helping someone else grow and get out of it, then maybe some of the pain and heartache won't hurt so much. I thank you. I honor you and look forward to continuing this conversation. Thanks, Gemma. Bye-bye for now.